So yes, the Bible is reading from 1 Samuel chapter 3, and in the church Bibles, that's page 273. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time, the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you call me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and, and, the Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons, sorry, his sons uttered blasphemies against God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, what was it he said to you? Eli asked, do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Amen. Good morning. It's good to be able to share with you this morning. Let's just pray before we open up God's word together. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Scriptures are, they don't just contain, they are the Word of God. And we pray that you would speak by your Spirit to our hearts so clearly today that we would just be transformed by that Word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Should be a PowerPoint. There we go. And I'll test out whether it actually, have I got this working? No, I haven't. What do I have to press? Switched on. Down? How wonderfully logical. <laughs> Down. Good. Okay. Um, I, I've gone through about a dozen titles for, for this morning because this, this is an incredibly rich passage. I'm very grateful to Nathan for um, not being able to deal with this one this morning because it gives it to me. Um, so the first thing you're going to do is, is kind of um, just remind ourselves of the state of the nation at the time very, very quickly. Um, usually what we refer to is, is Judges 17, 6, and then uh, the, the same sentence is repeated almost verbatim um, three more times. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. But there's a, another passage, I think, that fits into that period in the book of Ruth that gives us, again, an insight into the world into which um, our story is, is set. Uh, and it's Ruth 2 and verse 22. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, um, that's her future husband, lest in another field you be assaulted. So the days of the judges were such that a, a young widow like Ruth was not safe going out to work. That's the days of the, the judges. But the, the second thing, and I'm going to race through this at a rate of knots, um, is that the passage is absolutely crammed with rich symbolism. Things that are, are kind of mentioned almost in passing, um, and there, there's, a whole, there's a whole message here, but just to kind of run through them very, very quickly, uh, a lot of them are contrasting with other things, sometimes within the passage and, and sometimes elsewhere. But let me run through them. Eli's eyes, we're told, were dim in verse 2, which contrasts him with Moses, who is the, the last great prophet and, and uh, leader of God's people, where we read in, in Deuteronomy 34, he was 120 years old, his eye was undimmed. So Eli is, is both suffering spiritually and physically from a lack of good eyesight. Moses, in contrast, can see as well as the day he was first called. We're told in a similar vein that the lamp of God was still burning in verse 3. Uh, and that's a kind of juxtaposition, for instance, with John 13, 30, where we read that Judas went out and John says it was night. It isn't just there an indicator to us of the time of day, but Judas is turning his back on the light of the world. He's going out into the darkness. Here we're told the lamp of God was still burning, and that's really significant for uh, what we're going to look at later. In Revelation, for instance, um, Ephesus is warned, isn't it, that if it does not do the works it did at first, 
I will come and remove the lampstand. The, the light burning shows that God is not yet finished with His people. The light being removed would be the opposite. There are contrasting statements. Chapter 2 and verse 12, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. 1 Samuel 3, 7, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Hophni and Phinehas are, are lost cases, but Samuel is about to be brought into a living relationship with God. There's the proximity to the ark, um, we're told in Numbers that, that Moses um, went and spoke, God spoke to him when he was near the mercy seat of the ark. Uh, and we're told that Samuel lay near the ark. There's the use of repeated double names. You only find them very rarely in Scripture. They're always significant, and they're always followed by something very, very similar. So, Genesis 22, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. Genesis 46, Jacob, Jacob. He said, here I am. Exodus 3, Moses, Moses. He said, here I am. 1 Samuel 3, Samuel, Samuel. Speak, your servant hears. If you look at those passages, they're all uh, extremely significant. Um, they're, they're all God speaking and God's chosen special servants responding to what God's going to say, and that prepares us for uh, what is coming. It's also preparing the way for judging the judge. In Hannah's prayer, back in chapter 2, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken, she says, to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And in 1 Samuel 4, the other side of our passage, as soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backwards from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken and he died, for the man was old and heavy. He judged Israel 40 years. Hannah predicts that the Lord will judge. Uh, and the very two chapters on, it's the judge of Israel who's being judged. But all of that is, I'm just throwing that out. Um, don't miss it. It's all worth looking at. What we're going to look at is the God who sees and acts. The God who sees and acts. And will slow the pace. God, like Eli, has seen the sons of Eli, 1 Samuel 3.13, for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. I haven't had a chance to listen to Nathan's message from last week. I was preaching elsewhere. Um, so forgive me if there's a little bit of overlap here. But this chapter concludes the series of stories about the youth of Samuel, uh, and it begins a new era in which God is again speaking through a prophet as he did through Moses. Throughout the chapter, we, we can see the figures of Samuel and Eli uh, as a classic compare and contrast. Um, 
Samuel is the future. He is the, the man that God has chosen, the man that God has called. Eli represents the end of an age that has utterly failed in its service for God. It introduces us to the man who will guide Israel through turbulent times, preparing the nation for the appointed king, David. And of course, as we'll come right at the end to see, that is in its turn preparing for the ultimate king, great David's greater son, our Lord Jesus. So in chapter 2, we read, therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. In chapter 2, the threat is made, the promise is made, the word of God comes that Eli's land is to be finished forever. But once we get as far as 1 Samuel 7, the, the promise to David is that he will build a house for his name and will establish that throne for his kingdom forever. So the two things and, and we'll see more about each of them. The two things that we're being introduced to at the beginning is that God sees. God knows what is going on. He, he is not a God who is unaware of the, the circumstances, either of individuals um, or, or of nations. Uh, and in response to what he sees, he acts. But of course, God's seeing is not like yours and mine, is it? We're reminded in the New Testament concerning our Lord Jesus that he needed no one to tell him what was in man. He knew. He was able to, to see. Uh, and it's a, it's a sobering thought, isn't it, to think that this morning um, there are two kinds of, of visions here. There's the human vision. You and I see one another and what we see is the outward appearance. That's all we can see. Uh, we, we know whether you've come in, in your best Sunday clothes or, or whether you've come straight from the garden, you know, with your wellies on. Um, we, we, we know uh, outwardly who you are, what you're doing, but God looks inside us. God looks at our hearts. He, he looks at our motives, and He acts in response to what He sees. Uh, and that may be, as it was in the case of, of Eli, judgment. It may be, uh, as it was in the case of Samuel, um, that he has chosen him for a great future. So the, the second thing is that God calls his chosen. In Matthew 22, we read, many are called, but few are chosen and it reflects on the fact that the, the Word of God goes out, doesn't it, to, 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 to people. Let me give you a, a semi-personal um, illustration of this. Um, some of you know that when I was um, in my late teens, um, I, I lived in, in Merthyr, and there, there was a big disaster there, the Aberfan disaster, and a lot of the people involved in that were people I knew. There were people in... I was in my last year in secondary school, 
And there were people um, that, that I knew well um, that were involved in that. And two people struck me particularly. In the aftermath of what had happened, um, one person on, on one occasion said to me, I can never believe in a God who would allow that to happen. The second person was a, a, a woman who had lost her only child in the disaster. And she said on one occasion, I never understood what it cost the Lord to give his only son until that disaster. Two people experiencing exactly the same thing uh, and yet reacting to it in, in a completely different way. The, the Word of God comes to us, doesn't it? Mark 9, 7, and says, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. God is a God who calls His people. Uh, and the evidence of being chosen is the response that they make when God speaks to them. Um, the, the writer to the Hebrews is always pleading, isn't he, with his, his readers. He uses similar phrases over and over again, but uh, this is from chapter 3, verses 7 to 8. As the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. All of us this morning will hear words that are Nothing less than God's Word. We have already done so. Um, every time we read the Scripture, those are the words of God. Uh, and some of us will listen to those words, and some of us won't. Some of us will respond to those words, and some of us won't. Some of us, if God were to, to say to us, Fred, Fred, I don't think we've got any Freds here, so I'm on safe ground, um, some Freds would, would say, here am I, Lord. Send me. What, what, what is it you want to say to me? And others would just turn over and not listen. Uh, and it might be this morning that there, there's somebody here, and you've been coming for years and years and years. Nathan's not the first pastor you've been listening to. He's not even the second pastor. Um, and all the, the other preachers that have come, and you've come, and you've sat, and you've listened. Can I ask you this? Have you ever responded? To the Word of God? Have you ever allowed that Word to, to, to transform you and, and to change you? David Sumura says, to know the Lord is restated by the parallel phrase, the Word of the Lord is revealed. Hence, he argues, to know the Lord means to know the will of the Lord who reveals Himself through His Word. The Word of God is our access to God. Samuel is called to service by his God. Although at this point, Samuel is acting as a kind of priestly helper. It's not exactly sure what his role is, but he's, he's kind of caretaker, isn't he, in the tabernacle. Um, that's not where his future lay. David Payne says priests needed no divine calling to office because they were born into priestly families. Prophets, on the other hand, received individual calls, direct experiences of God. And chapter 3 records the prophetic call of Samuel. Another commentator says, Samuel the priest, God's minister, 
would become Samuel the prophet, God's spokesman. Responding to the Word of God when you've heard the Word of God is life-transforming. If you've never responded to the Word of God yet, if you are not at this moment a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ in the sense that the Bible uses that word, doesn't mean that you you think, oh, there was somebody called Jesus who lived some 2,000 years ago. It means that you have just received Him as your own Lord and your own Savior, that you've given up any hope of pleasing God by any other way than trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, then those of us that have will, will tell you this. If you do, it will transform your life utterly. You will never, ever be the same person again. It's a radical thing. It changes you completely. And you see that in the New Testament, don't you? No longer are you a fisherman, you're a fisher of men. No longer are you a tax collector, you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. No longer are you the persecutor of the church, you're the apostle who comes and preaches. No longer are you the son of thunder, you're the apostle of love. It's life transforming. But so is the call of God to specific service or, or even just to service. It, it may be this morning that you're a, a, a Christian, um, but as yet, you, you're not really serving God. You're, you're being served by others, but you're not serving. But the whole analogy that Paul gives us in the New Testament about the body of Christ is that all of us, all of us have a role to play, that there is a ministry uh, and it's listening to the Word of God, prayerfully reading His Word that will possibly open that up. And then testing, going and speaking to other people and saying, look, is this, do you think, a ministry that I could exercise? Is this where God is calling me? And again, that might be life-transforming. You, you might find yourself in a year's time or two years' time uh, on a completely different path to the one you're walking on now. The future that you've planned for yourself and the future that God has planned may be very, very different. Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the, the Scripture there is using it in the sense of having an intimate relationship with the Lord. The, the word know um, in the Hebrew is the, the word that's used, for instance, of, of Adam and Eve, when it says, and Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore a child. It's that kind of intimate relationship. Spurgeon says this, there is a great distinction between knowing about Christ and knowing Christ himself, between knowing what he did and knowing who and what he is and really knowing him in the sense in which that expression is used when he said in his great intercessory prayer to the Father, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So, let me just ask you this morning, do you know Christ in that way? I, I trust you're like, like Hophni and Phinehas who did not know the Lord permanently, um, but maybe you are like Samuel who did not yet know the Lord, but was destined to know Him in a deeper and deeper way as all the days went on. Samuel is chosen, but Eli 
and his sons are all rejected. His sons, Hophni and Phinehas, well, for an abundance of reasons, aren't they? They're described in Scripture as worthless men, useless. They're greedy, selfish people who stole food that they were not entitled to from the offerings, chapter 1, verse 13. They demanded food with menaces, chapter 1, verse 16. They treated their priestly task and therefore God with contempt, verse 17. They sinned sexually with the women of the tabernacle, verse 22. They ignored the voice of their father, verse 23. They blasphemed and acted corruptly. There is no hope for them, is there? Deuteronomy 17 tells us, the man who acts presumptuously by not obeying the priest, who stands to minister before the Lord your God or to judge, that man shall die so you shall purge the evil from Israel. If the law of God is saying, if you do not treat the priest properly, you're subject to judgment, what is the judgment on a priest whose whole lifestyle proves that he despises the priesthood? Seeing as the very offerings they were using to sin, they were stealing, were the offerings that were intended to bring forgiveness, they've ruled themselves out, haven't they? And Eli, because he failed to stop them. Walter Elwell is, is nice to Eli. He says, he was no doubt sincere and devout, but he was also weak and indulgent. But that weakness and that indulgence is dangerous, isn't it? Let me just read something to you from um, John Stuart Mill. You, you, you'll be familiar with um, paraphrases of this because they're attributed to almost everybody. But, but in 1867, he delivered an inaugural address at St. Andrews University. And this is what he said. Let not anyone pacify his conscience by the delusion that he can do no harm if he takes no part and forms no opinion. Bad men need nothing more to compass their ends than that good men should look on and do nothing. He is not a good man who, without a protest, allows wrong to be committed in his name and with the means with which he helps to supply because he will not trouble himself to use his mind on the subject. God speaks and we must respond. It's, it's no good us being Eli's and just sort of tut-tutting and, uh, and maybe the, the gentlest of rebukes. Eli should have acted, and he failed to act. Thirdly, he's the God who speaks and doesn't speak. We're, we're familiar with the idea of God speaking, but he's also the God who doesn't speak. Um, his voice had not been heard for a long time. It was now clearly heard and responded to by Samuel. Indeed, on this occasion, the Lord did more than just speak. He came and stood there. I guess that's uh, one of what the Bible calls a theophany, um, the, the, word, the word who was later the word made flesh coming and, and, and um, presenting himself. 
But we're told in, in verse 1, the, the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. There is a prophet who appears in the previous chapter and, and delivers uh, a word which is then reinforced by Samuel. But it was rare. It was unusual. God was not manifestly known amongst his people. One of the ways in which God sometimes judges is by saying nothing. Saying nothing. I can remember, I can't remember what the particular transgression was, but I can remember um, one of our children expecting the, you know, the, the world to come down on them, and, and I did the most cruel thing of all. I just said, go away, I don't want to speak to you at the moment. I did speak to them afterwards, you know, we're back in good communication with each other now. But, but sometimes God says, then that's it. I'm not going to speak to you. You're not listening, so I won't speak. Gordon Keddy says, as in the days of the boy Samuel, the so-called Christian West is afflicted by a famine of the Word of God, and the need of revival is nowhere more obvious than in the crumbling churches of a degenerate mainline Protestantism. Another speaking on this same subject, Richard Phillips says, the beginning of new life in Israel came with Samuel hearing the word of God. The same pattern holds true today. God's people are revived when they give ear to God's word. Our own generation bears much similarity to that of Eli. Pause, reflect. Do we think this is true? Our own generation bears much similarity to that of Eli. We have a great deal of religious activity with legions of preachers and large amounts of time and money devoted to the church and its activities. But where is the word of the Lord? That's a challenging thought. But God at last is speaking again. And both Samuel and Eli are somewhat taken aback. God speaks and God keeps silent. Uh, and one of the ways of knowing that we are drifting away from God, one of the ways of knowing if we are finding ourselves in rebellion against God, is that we will hear His voice less and less. We, we will get less and less out of the ministry of God's Word on a Sunday, regardless of who the preacher is. We will get less and less out of our individual Bible reading, and indeed that will be followed up by doing less and less Bible reading and by attending God's preaching less and less. Silence breeds silence. But God is a God who speaks, and He's speaking now in these days of the judges. He's speaking to Samuel, and He's speaking to the people. Fourthly, they're all fit on one slide, if that's an encouragement. There were specific details given about the, the change. God um, calls to Samuel four times, and, and, and he, would, he does speak to him. Samuel is ready to, to, to listen. In the morning, Eli insists on knowing what Samuel had heard, and Samuel tells the priest everything that he is or that is going to happen in relation to him. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of anyone who hears it will tingle. The same phrase occurs again in, in Second Kings when uh, God is pronouncing judgment. 
God not only knows the future, God determines the future. Uh, and you see God here acting um, in his sovereign capacity uh, as the, the head of Israel, um, but also as the, the God of the whole earth. Uh, and he removes one set of people in order to bring another set in. Uh, and this is what God does. Uh, and as you look at the history of the church, uh, you see movements which were mightily used by God. Uh, and then they stopped listening to God. And they stopped being obedient to God. And they became carpet warehouses or denominations of compromised uh, and powerless people. God not only removes, but he also sets up. Oh, it's gone off. Never mind, there should have been more. Um, the God who fulfills and the people who wait. While 1 Samuel 3.11 was the first occasion that God spoke to Samuel, it was only the start of the relationship of, of their walk together. We read in verses 19 to 21, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Shiloh at Samuel by the word of the Lord. What a, what a glorious thing. The, the days of the judges that Leon Wood describes as the distressing days of the judges. Uh, the days of Hophni and Phinehas, where if you went along to the temple, you were likely to be exploited, bullied. If you were a woman, you might well be raped. The days of the judges, when you'd be afraid to go out into the fields to gather corn, those days are coming to an end because God has begun to move, and he begins by raising up a prophet. Samuel points forward. The whole story has led from the time of his birth to this moment. But his people must wait. His people must wait. There will be many who heed the voice of God, some of them will be godly priests, men like Zechariah and so on. Some will be faithful kings like David. But the wait will and must go on. Because just as in the days of the judges, all of the, the, the evil practices of men were recycled, so it is with the history of the world. It just goes on and on and on uh, until we're less saying to ourselves and maybe crying out to God, will, this, will nothing ever change? And the answer, of course, is, oh, yes. Oh, yes, it will. Someone is going to come who will fully heed the word of the call of God in a way that even Samuel was not able to. Hebrews 10, 7, I said, this is the Lord Jesus speaking, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And on the cross, Jesus cries out, doesn't he? It is finished or it is accomplished. Um, he has completed all the work that God gave him to do. He's the true priest who fulfills his ministry. We do not have a high priest, the writer to the Hebrews says, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
He is the future faithful judge and ultimate king. First Timothy 6.15, he who is the blessed and only sovereign king of kings and lord of lords. Revelation 11.15, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. John Newton, in his really well-known hymn, How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds, addresses Jesus in this way. He says, Jesus, my shepherd, brother, friend, my prophet, priest, and king, my Lord, my life, my way, my end, accept the praise I bring. There's so much more to 1 Samuel 3 than just a little boy hearing a voice in the night and mistakenly going to the old priest and saying, here am I. This is God making a step change in Israel. This is God bringing to an end one era, the era of the judges, and introducing another era. But it's also a reminder to us that until the ultimate priest, until the ultimate king, comes nothing really changes and the same is true for you and i uh, until the ultimate priest the lord jesus christ cleanses us from all sin and all right unrighteousness until the ultimate king sits and rules and reigns in our lives nothing will change it'll be the same old same old failure and sadness but a deliverer has been sent. A deliverer has come. And he's the one who says to us, Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray together. Gracious and merciful God, we thank you for all your goodness to us. We thank you that you are the fulfillment of all the hopes and ambitions of your people, the, the fulfillment of all of your precious promises. Uh, and we thank you that you are here today, accessible, ready to speak into our hearts if we are ready to respond. Father, we thank you that you took the initiative. You called Samuel. We pray that this morning we might hear your voice calling us to a life of faith and a life of service. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.